0: Welcome back to You Ask For It. Uh, This is a podcast where Pastor Steve and myself walk through um, faith and culture and life as our desire is to help Christians understand how to navigate the world that we live in, but then also help them to understand the very doctrine that we believe. One way that we do that is that we answer your questions that you send in, but right now we've been walking through a series on the Apostles' Creed and kind of taking it line by line to help you understand the very the very truths that we have, Christians have believed since almost the very beginning two of thousand our. Years, yeah, yeah. 2000 years. We're almost to the end and we've come to a phrase, the communion of the saints. Now, this word communion that we, that we see here in the phrase today, in the original Greek version of the Apostles' Creed, it was the word koinonia. And this is what we've used for the word fellowship. And what our goal is today in this discussion is to talk a lot about how we can have great fellowship together as Christians, what we would say is an important part of the church. You know, I think about this. When you think about their listing, what's the bedrock
1: tenets of our faith, blessings Mm -hmm. of our faith, they said... Mm -hmm the fellowship that Christians have is one of
0: the things that we hold dear in the Christian life. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Absolutely. But first, let's do this. Let's look first at how this phrase has been used in the Roman Catholic Church. That's
1: a whole different ballgame because as you know, the Roman Catholic Church developed way after the Apostles' Creed was actually written. And the communion of the saints in the Roman Catholic Church in their teaching, and I've gone back and I've read the first, I've read their own material on this, refers to the fact that there's an unbroken communion of all the saints who've ever lived so we can be in contact with saints in heaven or saints on earth. And and their whole practice of praying to saints is based on this phrase, and the way they've interpreted it, for communion of the saints. Now, they try to make a distinction, and they, they say, but first of all, let me go through, both, even taking the word the communion of the saints The word saints means something different in the Catholic Church than it does in the Bible. Saint is just another word for Christian. There are only two kinds of people in the world, saints and aints. You know, if you're saved, you're a saint. If you're not saved, you ain't. And so, But the Catholic Church has has raised it to where a a saint is someone who's especially holy. It technically means somebody who lives such a worthy life that they didn't have to spend any time in purgatory. They made a direct trip to heaven, which is a rarity in Catholic teaching. So they say that there's a union that stays there, and they use this as their basis of praying to the saints. This came from a Catholic site. Catholics believe that our relationship with our fellow Christians does not end with death. Catholic prayer to saints is a recognition of this continuing communion. As Catholics, we believe that our life doesn't end at death, but simply changes. Those who've lived good lives, died in faith of Christ, as the Bible says, will share His resurrection, While we live together on earth as Christians, we're in communion or unity with one another, but that communion does not end when one of us dies. We believe that the saints, the Christians in heaven, remain in communion with those of us on earth. We call this the communion of the saints, and it's an article of faith in every Christian creed from the Apostles' Creed on. So their concept of the the communion of the saints is we're still in contact with Christians who've gone on in the past. Now, I believe that I'm going to be able to see St. D.L. Moody uh, when I get to heaven. He's going to be one of, the, one of the tops on my list. But I don't believe I can talk to him right now. Does that make sense? Uh, there's a lot of things in the Bible about not praying, not talking, trying to communicate to the dead and et cetera. Now, Peter Kreeft, who's a famous Roman Catholic theologian, I've, I've read his books. I like much of what he says. I've heard him in person. He tries to distinguish between the fact that they're not really praying to the saints I'll I'll give you how he says. The church distinguishes between adoration due to God alone and the respect which is due to all the saints. However, Catholics pray to saints as they pray to holy friends on earth. That is, they ask these friends to pray to God for them. It's no more idolatrous to ask another human being to pray for you after he dies than before. The issue that divides Protestant Catholics is not idolatry, but the communion of the saints, the interaction between the church on earth and the church in heaven. So when they, and one of the ones they mainly pray to is Mary. You know, so when they're praying to Mary, they say, well, this isn't, this isn't worshiping Mary. This would be like I would walk up to Justin and say, Justin, I need you to pray for me. So I'm going to go ask Mary to pray for me. And that's what they're saying, and that's what they call the communion of the saints. The problem that they have is that's not in that's not the reality of the practice. Martin Luther, if you've ever watched the movie Luther that was, that came out not long ago, or if you've read a biography, his becoming a monk happened when he was going through the woods in a lightning storm, and he almost got hit by lightning, and he cried out, St. Anne, save me, and I'll become a monk. So he didn't say, St. Anne, pray me through this. He said, St. Anne, save me. That's very typical of the mindset of the typical Catholic, that they believe that they're patron saints and all that that you can pray to. Now, the other interesting thing that Creed, Creed brings out with this unbroken, if you're a Catholic, you believe, if you say the church is unbroken, no matter if it's here or there. Well, the Catholic believes that there are three places that you, the church can be right at this moment. There's the church on earth, the church in heaven, but there's a lot of the church that's in purgatory right now. They're on the way. They have to go get purified. They're in purgatory. And what he said was that not only can I ask somebody I know is already in heaven, like a Mother Teresa, they they made her a saint, But I can also ask someone that I think maybe they're spending some time in purgatory, but I can still ask for them to pray for me because their prayers may be more insightful than mine here because they're now starting the process of eternity. So that's the concept of of communion of the saints from the the Roman Catholic Church. (gasps) So now we're going to go to what does the Bible teach about the fellowship that we have here?
0: Well, here's our main truth for today and it is this that the, one of the greatest parts of our faith that we've we've already mentioned is the blessings and the necessity of having fellowship with other Christians. I mean, it is an incredible privilege Amen. that we have. Fellowship it really is one of our greatest blessings. I'll give you a story from my life. When Sarah and I first came here in 2015, we were in our mid 20s and there really were not many people That's in our true. church that were that age. We looked for them and it was just, it was hard to find. And so we're, Sarah and I were trying to figure out who is it that we we're going to hang out with? Who are we going to talk to? And it basically ended up being the parents of the teenagers that we're doing a <laughs> ministry with or Dave Marshall's son, who was a college student at that point. That was, that was our friends. It was just hard to find. We just didn't have fellowship. young people. Yeah. They're just, they just wasn't there. Well, about four years ago, we started seeing an influx of young families and then in really the mid 2020 into 2021, we saw a rapid amount of young families come into our church. Well, in the middle of all that, a lot of families were able to get connected to places, but we did see some families that were not able to do that. And Sarah and I just thought, you know, what'd be really cool is what if we started a small group at our house and we grabbed a couple of couples who just didn't find a place to connect. And we just started meeting. Well, that started about January of 2021. And it has now been two and a half years of us meeting together. And it has become one of the greatest things in our life. Our kids are all about the same age. We connect, which means it's usually chaos at our house because all the kids are about the same age. It's eight adults and 13 kids. So if you can imagine how that goes sometimes. (laughs) But I'll tell you how we were able to realize how much of a blessing this is. We had about seven weeks where we were not able to be together just because of vacations, travel, our schedules were not mapping up, um, meeting up. And this past Friday, finally, we were able to all get together and we met at Mills River Creek and let the kids just play in the creek for a while. We sat, ate dinner, just had fun with one another. And Sarah and I walked away from, we walked away from that and we got in our van and we just thanked God for yeah. the community that we had and just... One thing we love about being here at First Baptist is our friendships that we have, the and, fellowship. And we I have.
1: believe that God wants the church to be a source of friendships like that. Now, much of, of the friendships occur in Sunday school. I mean, many of you are involved in good classes, and I hope that you'll, you'll be encouraged in your classes to do what most of you do, have some fellowships and all that outside of the Sunday morning experience. Um, when I was in Loganville, I've, I've tried to enlist a lot of our folks into home groups beyond Sunday school, and so I had one man and his wife that I met them going door to door. He had no Christian background at all. He didn't know a single Bible story. When we talked about John the Baptist being beheaded, he said, I always wondered what happened to the man. You know, you know just every, every story was brand new to him. So we got him in a home group. I'll never forget after he'd been in that group for six months, he looked at us one day at the end of the meeting, and we were eating our, our refreshments. He said, six months ago, I didn't know anyone in this room now I know you all so much, I feel like I could borrow money from anybody in here. <laughs> now, that's just his his humor. But there is a God wants us to have that kind of
0: bond. Now fellowship is not just one of our greatest blessings, but fellowship, we would say the Bible argues is also a necessity. This is if you go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible, beginning of the Bible, you see this to be the case. For instance, in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Now, here's what we know about God. God has existed for eternity as Trinity. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we see that even right here in this verse. It says make, which is a singular verb, but then also let us, which is a plural subject, right? Father, here. Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes. And then it says this, let us be made in, uh, let, let us make the man in our image. And so what do we see even from the very beginning is that being made in the image of God means that we were made for fellowship. We were made to experience community like our God experiences community, just to experience the love and the friendship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, um, that we even see God experiencing. And, and then this is even, You see this also to be true when you go to the next chapter in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, in verse 18, God says this, then Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. It's pretty clear there. We are not supposed to be alone. We're supposed to be in community. And then you see in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews picks up this thought in the understanding of the church and how important this is for the Christian. In verse 24 and 25, in Hebrews 10, it says, and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What's the writer say? He says, it is absolutely necessary that you gather so that you can encourage one another, so that you can push each other towards good works and love. Now, let me tell you why that's important for the day that we are in today what seems to be kind of just going all across our country right now is this whole idea of online church. Now I see benefits in there in that it's a great tool to get the gospel to people who maybe will never come into your doors. You know, it's a tool, especially for our shut-ins who are not able to get to the church or get to gathering anymore. But can I just say this? The church was not meant to be online. The church was meant to be done with one another. We're meant to be in community and anybody that spends enough time just simply online and in social media will tell you that you cannot develop real friendships and relationships there. Mm. It happens by truly being one, with one another. So therefore we don't, we don't neglect that. But then let me go a little farther and say this, we can just be, we can be as guilty of missing the community as well by just coming to a church service and then leaving and never actually connecting with people around us. Look, we that's a reason why at the church we stress small groups. We stress men's and women's Bible studies. We we stress the the Christian recovery programs we have here. It's a reason that you hear us talk about Sunday school so much because it is so important and it is necessary for us to have real community. Now, since this is important and this is necessary, the question then is, how do we do it well? How do we have good fellowship? And this is where we wanna go for the rest of our time here. We have four reasons, four points today. And the first is this, that fellowship occurs when we are all under the lordship of Christ. Maybe you've heard fellowship said this way, it's fellows in the same ship, right? Fellows in the same same ship with the same goal, the same desire in mind. Here's how Paul says, this is how Paul says how important this is in 2 Corinthians chapter six. He says, do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteous and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Bilal? Or what Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Now, Paul is not saying that we can't have friendships with people who are not believers, but he is saying this, that you cannot have a real, true, deep bond with people who don't love the same Jesus that you love. Yeah. It's gonna be very hard for me to have a deep relationship with someone who doesn't desire to live the same life that I mm-hmm. wanna to live, to follow Jesus. Well, if somebody came to
1: me and said, you know, I'd like to know you, but I can't stand your wife and children,
0: <laughs> it's gonna be hard for us to hang out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Y'all are gone. Yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> you know, absolutely.
1: Uh, y- y- we, 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 I, if I want to love you, but I also, I want to be around people that love Jesus. So the glue that holds us together is, is Jesus. loving Jesus. Yes. What about the second point? All right. Fellowship occurs when we make efforts to reach out to each other. Now, this is one of the tasks that we pastors have is because churches become cold without knowing it. And let me, to outsiders. And let me explain. Because if I were to, here we've got, we've got people coming on Wednesday night. Y'all are, Y'all are as involved and entrenched as you can be in your classes and all that. Is the church a warm place? Oh yeah, I can't wait to get my Sunday school. And when I was sick, they brought me a casserole. I mean, you know, just you have all those kind of things. But when a newcomer comes in, what we tend to do is they t- they tell us that we need four to six good friends, and we have the tendency once we get our four to six good friends to shut down. So when we come to church and I make a beat line to those four to six people. And they're going to be there for me, and I'm going to be there for them. But we don't realize the outsider who's coming in, they, they need to be loved. So what we've got to do if we're going to have the communion of the saints is we've got to keep our eyes out constantly and constantly press ourselves to involve more people in our relationship circle. Um, we've got to reach out to each other in love. Now, somebody says, well, give me some more help. How do I reach out to somebody? What do I need to do to show love? Well, can I I give you something, maybe a shocking way to show this? Uh, If I were to say, what's the minimum that you need to give to somebody? Well, how about this? What did Jesus say we were to do if somebody's our enemy, if somebody's done us wrong? Well, in Luke, it says this, I say to you, love your enemy, do what's good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. So if you're sitting here and saying, I'm not just talking about people I like. I'm talking about somebody that I'm looking at them saying, I don't know if I want to be around them. Well, you can do this. You can, it says, do, do good for them. Find some way that you can meet a practical need. You can bless them. You can use your words to build them up. And you can pray for them. And if you put people in your prayers, God will put them in your heart. So we so we do that. And and we 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 express that kind of love and fellowship has to be expressed, but the third thing is fellowship occurs when people can share their problems and help others bear their burdens. Um, James five sixteen says, "Confess your sins to one another, pray for one another, so, you, so that you may be healed." We need to have a deep enough fellowship that you can share your struggles with some people that you can trust. Uh, John Wesley not only was used by God to help bring the great awakening because he preached the gospel, but I think what he did that really helped solidify a real revival was he was a great organizer of Christians into small groups. And he had two basic groups that he got every new Christian to be involved in. They were involved in a class, and that would be about 10 to 12 people. It would be men and women, and they would that's where they did their Bible study. That's where they did their Christian service together. But he also had a group called BANDS, B-A-N-D, and in those, they were sex-segregated. They were no more than six people. And he used James 5.16. And so once a week, they met together as a class to grow spiritually and to serve God together spiritually. But once a week, they got together with six people from the same sex, and they would use this James 5, and they would go around in the circle and say, now tell me, what you, how'd you sin this week, and where are you struggling, and how can I help you? And when you have that kind of accountability and that kind of intimacy, can you imagine how deep that fellowship is?
0: There's another verse that applies to this that is very important um, for for Christians, and I think it's an important verse in the scriptures. In Galatians six, verse two, it says, "Carry one another one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ." Pastor Steve, you can probably affirm this. That I can't tell you how many times that we walk into a hospital room with someone who is struggling. They are going through it. And what seems to be some of the first words out of their mouth is, I don't know how we will be doing this without the church or with our, our Sunday right. school class. Why? Because we are called to help support mm-hmm. people and literally get up under them to help them get through the next day. And to have an atmosphere where you're willing to let somebody take your burden. Absolutely. Involved with this, though, this whole idea of bearing burdens, also the ability to, to keep confidences Amen. if necessary. To be a trustworthy person, Proverbs chapter thir- uh, Proverbs 11, 13 says, a gossip goes around revealing a secret, but a trustworthy person keeps a confidence. There's a story about, well, I guess it's more of a joke than a story a about three, uh, about three pastors who got together and they got together for a reason. They just, they were burdened and they wanted to share their struggles with one another. And sometimes you just need other pastors to help you do that. So they got together and the first pastor said, Look, I've been stealing. He said, I just got to be honest. I've been stealing from the offering plate and it feels good, so good to share that with someone and get the burden off. So everybody kind of looked at each other and then the second pastor piped up and he says, I gotta be honest with you all. I've been having an affair with a woman in the church and it's been killing me not to tell anybody about it. Then third pastor says, I'm an uncontrollable gossip and I can't wait to get out of here and tell everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Now, obviously that's an extreme example, but here's the thing. We need people in our life who we can come and be honest with, that we can really talk about what is going on in our hearts and in our souls because you can't just hold all that within. It'll destroy you. You've got to have someone close that can help you bear those burdens. And then finally tonight, the last point is this, that fellowship can only be maintained if we give each other grace. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Oh, what are we to do? To be kind and compassionate and to be forgiving. It's a beautiful thing. You see, here's the thing. Why does this matter? You're going to be hurt by fellow Christians. It's going to happen. You know why? Because we're broken people. You are going to be hurt. But the question is, are we willing to stick together even through the hurt and to be people who are willing to be kind? Mm-hmm.
1: And there's a uh, Talking about giving each other grace, this is one of my big concerns about the SBC Galatians 5:16 15 If you bite and devour one another watch out or you'll be consumed by one another So do we want to be a church where we give each other grace or do we want to be a church or a convention where we bite and devour each other and and that's something so
0: We'll stop right there because our time's up. Okay, gotcha. Sorry, I thought you were wanting to just skip down to there. So yeah, there you go. Okay. Hey, thank you so much for joining us tonight as we had this conversation about how true fellowship happens and where it comes from. I hope it was a blessing to you. And I hope that everybody that's listening to this will make a decision to really lock arms with other Christians and it'll be helpful to you, I promise. Thank you for being with us tonight.